this girl walks up to us and asks us, how often do you do these events? We we're like, well, this is the first one, but we think we're going to do it again. She's like, well, I'd be willing to pay a monthly membership to be part of a group that does this on a regular basis. And we looked at each other, well, it's not very often someone offers you their money to be part of your group. So, or to do an event, I should say. We kind of looked at each other and like a light bulb went off, like we're on something here. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast. And I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. Today's conversation is with Jeremy Asgari of The Outsiders New York, an events company that's on a mission to bring people together and introduce the possibility of creating a deeper connection through outdoor experiences. Jeremy builds unique events and retreats for those that are looking for fun and a sense of community. As you'll quickly realize, he lives life on his terms and has been successful at building a business around the lifestyle and things that are important to him. The pillars of his business are being active, surrounding himself with quality people, and creating fun experiences for his members. How great is that? Our conversation centered around how he built his business and what his business is all about and how to be a world-class host. Of course, we discussed how his relationships are the lifeblood of all his successes, from the business itself, the people that are involved, and even how he landed one of his most notable clients, Cliff Bar. Jeremy has a positive spirit. He's a good guy that's driven and fun to be around. I do think it's worth noting that he also plays a mean game of hoops. We had a lot of fun shooting this podcast, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jeremy as much as I did. Make it a great day. So for those who don't know who you are. Yeah, my name is Jeremy Asgari. I am in the events industry. I guess I'm an entrepreneur in the events industry and experiences industry, and I've been doing this for 15 years. So what does that mean? What is the events industry? What is- so events, I started off in nightlife, made my way to doing live music and producing events and wanted to get more creative and realized I didn't necessarily need to do events in venues and your traditional sort of events. And I started getting creative and doing things that I would normally want to do myself, but couldn't find others doing it. And I figured if I wanted to do something, there's got to be other people that want to do it the same. Cool. So for example, what would be an event? I mean, really anything fun. So for example, a few years ago, I think it was like six or seven years ago, I had a friend of mine visiting from Stockholm who's visiting for like a couple of months and we decided we wanted to throw a holiday party. But a typical holiday party is just drinks. And it's an excuse to get together and have drinks. Not that it's not fun, but there's nothing unique about it. We decided to make it unique. We're actually brainstorming, playing ping pong in my office, trying to figure out what are we going to do that's going to make this interesting. So we're hitting the ball back and forth. We're like, duh, like, let's just do a ping pong tournament. So it turns out we did a ping pong tournament with his Swedish network in New York City versus my New York City network. And it really went really well. And the second year, uh, he suggested that I ask some of the more notable, influential people I know to participate. And I was a little against it just because I thought they'd want to get something out of it and paid or whatever. So it's like, you never know, just ask. And surprisingly enough, everyone who I asked to participate, their response was, what do you need from me? I'm down. <laughs> So it was great. It was fun. It was something that we did for about five or six years. And this just lost its legs. I just lost my passion for it. And 
I figured I might as well not try to force and continue it and leave it as what it was. It was a great event while it, while it happened. How many people were going to the event? The first year we did it probably like 75 people, but it got up to being like 250 people. You're kidding me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not kidding. I'm serious. Yeah. That's, that's a significant yeah. amount of people. What did it take to get this amount of people to an event? There's a lot of factors, right? There's obviously, it has to be some appeal, right? So the uniqueness about this one was we got some people who I know in my network who have a large network of their own. We got them to participate. So one day they participated and they told their friends they're participating in a ping pong tournament. It's New York City versus Sweden. It was really silly, but we encouraged people to talk trash. Mm-hmm. So it was competitive and people got behind the teams and their friends. It was co-ed doubles. So they got behind each time their, their friends were playing. They got up and they treated their friends on and talking trash to the opponents and their opponents supporting team as well. It just became a fun thing. And again, I think the encouragement to talk trash, the silliness of the event and how it was just like a unique holiday thing. Again, I think what also made it unique was this competition and it made it less threatening. So if you're engaging people in the event, it's not like you're just talking to somebody at a bar having drinks. Is there's people who tend to think others have ulterior motives. A guy speaking to a girl usually has one motive and it's not this environment where you're rooting for a team and watching people play ping pong and just... It's nostalgic and speaking to someone next to you about a play that just happened is kind of natural. It's organic. So it ended up being amazing because of that. How did it dissipate? I mean, it sounds like a lot of fun. There's a good amount uh, of, and that's a, I mean, it's a huge amount of people too. That's not an easy, and just so you know, I know we've talked about this before. I don't think we really delved into it much, but I used to promote events also. Yeah. And it's not easy to get people to. It's, it's definitely not easy. Um, and you're only as good as your last event. Well, I disagree with that. Yeah. If you oh, look at reputation and you have a bad event, I mean, as long as it's not really terrible, you always have an opportunity to show the next. And not every event's going to be a home run. If every one event was a home run, I'd be a very, very rich man. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason why it kind of dissipated was the fact that the Swedish network I knew, I still in touch with them, but the majority of people I knew that were like, that made the majority of that network move back to Stockholm. So that, that there's half your population. Exactly. That rivalry was no longer there. The last event I did like that wasn't New York versus Sweden. It was the social light entertainment holiday ping pong tournament. So I opened it up and we had teams like we still represented their countries of origin. My friend, the Dominican Republic team, Puerto Rico team, the Argentinian team, the, all these teams. But the challenge was it was no longer like two communities going at it at a friendly competition. Plus, there's a lot of Swedes. There's like 65,000 Swedes in New York. So the word spread and when we're doing uh, New York versus Sweden. Interesting. So what other events do you guys do or have you done? That was an event. That was like a holiday event I did for my company, Socialite, which was the original company I launched about 15 years ago with Nightlife and then dove into live music. And from there, I had a music artist management company briefly, a booking company, which really just tried my hand on it. And it, again, we did the live music stuff, which was cool. But I realized that in order for me to do the live music acts that I wanted to, the bands, the talent, the missing piece was any band that was the draw was unaffordable. Had I sold out every ticket, I still would have taken a loss. And any band that was affordable wouldn't draw anybody. So the missing piece was uh, sponsorship. So that's when I kind of focused on getting more sponsors and building relationships with brands I ended up doing events exclusive for in-house for some brands, Marty Beer being one of them through the distributor. But I also would pitch them my event ideas. It took a long time. Building relationships was the most important part. Building relationships with the people who make the decision as to what they green light as far as sponsorship and partnerships. And also like learning what these brands want if they're giving you money for an event, what they want as a return on their investment. 
Let's talk about the relationships. How'd you do this? How'd your first event come to fruition? Uh, my first event ever or my first event with a brand? Let's go first event ever. Let's take first it all the way back. First event ever. It's funny. So I've always been very social and very adamant about keeping in contact with my friends. First is how it started. And to the point where it's a little bit weird. When I was 15, I wanted to make sure I never lost contact with my friends. And back then, there was no cell phones. So you had your address book. But no if you Facebook, lost, huh? No Facebook. No, no. I, I'm old enough to where I went through my teenage years with no... Uh, I mean, there was AOL back then, right? <laughs> but like... I didn't input my contacts into a phone, which automatically got updated to the cloud because it wasn't the time. But what I did at 15, because I didn't want to lose contact with my friends, I want to always make sure I had that resource. I decided to upload, like, type out all my friends' contacts information in a Word document, alphabetized it, printed it up, putting a folder. And I knew that I can always update it and then print it up if I needed to. So if I needed to call friend Chuck, for example, I just go through the phone book, there goes Chuck, boom. And then if I lose that, well, it's on the, the floppy disk. Yeah, I was just going to say, what was it? I don't think it was a floppy disk. might have been one of those little hard, hard cartridges. Disks. Yeah. That sounds about the right around um, time. So I did that. But fast forward to my first event, I remember, I think I had gone through like a breakup. I was 23 years old and I was going out all the time with my buddy Chuck. Like he had just gone through a breakup too. And we were out in the clubs like all the time. I think it's usually what you do at that age anyway. At that, what was the club of choice around there? Is that uh, the, the what, Chelsea, I'm assuming? Uh, no, well, you? that was in 2002. So I wasn't really connected then. I went to school in Manhattan, went to Hunter College. So I used the resources I had through friends of mine that were on the... I played basketball for Hunter. The guys on the wrestling team and also on my basketball team that were bouncers. So I went to wherever they were bouncing. And the one that we really frequented was uh, was the China Club. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back, it was so cheesy, but we had a blast. Like, I didn't have any resources. We got in for free. And, you know, maybe we might get one drink ticket. So it was, like, the best place on the earth. So I was going out a lot with him and, you know, meeting a lot of girls, meeting a lot of people, taking numbers. By then, I had a cell phone. So I threw myself my 23rd birthday party through a promoter. Like, they said, if you bring over 30 people, we'll give you a free bottle of champagne. I was like, wow, this is great. It was just champagne. It was some crappy Prosecco. But so I threw myself uh, my 23rd birthday party, this place called Envy, through a promoter, and I invited about 80 or 100 people, and 40 showed up. I was had a good time, but I was pissed. I was like, man, that's, that's messed up. Only 40 people showed up. I invited this many people. So at the time, my twin brother, who is a graphic, well, was a graphic designer and I was a creative director, he was designing fires for a buddy of mine who was a promoter, this guy by the name of Damien Vasquez, who was all over Hoboken. He was promoting at the time, and since my brother was doing the flyers, he called the house, and he talked to my brother. My brother didn't have a cell phone by then, and he was calling him to find out if I could design a flyer for a new party he was starting. And my brother was a little busy, so I was talking to my buddy Damien for a second. He asked how the birthday party went. I'm like, man, Damien, I'm disappointed. I invited 100 people, and 40 showed up. He goes, are you serious? Are you kidding me? I'm like, yeah, can you believe that? He goes, that's great. I was like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> That's great. Like half the people didn't show up. He goes, yeah, half the people show up. That's amazing. I'm like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> I tried. Let's do that. And he tells me the reason he's calling is to get my brother to design a flyer for him for a new party he was starting. And he asked if I want to get involved. I'm like, what do you mean get involved? Like you're throwing a party. What do you mean for me? It's like, you want to promote it. I'm like, what does that entail? I had no idea. What were you doing for work at the time? The summer before I graduated college, I was personal training because it was the only job I could have playing basketball because I would work 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, in the morning, go to school, finish school, go to practice or a game, come back home, do my homework, get to sleep. And I was working three mornings a week. Yeah. So I wasn't getting much sleep. It was terrible because like 
I'm up at 5 a.m. and go to sleep by midnight after getting everything done and have four and a half hours of sleep. Three days a week, not every day, but still, it took a toll. I was already broke. I was only making $150, $200 every two weeks. So I was broke. I was asking for quarters at school to get a, a bean burrito from the Taco Bell in the school. But I feel like those are defining moments in life. So I look oh, back yeah. and I could survive. So I was personal training in the morning. And when he asked me to do this, uh, start this new party, I was like, sure. I didn't know what it entailed. He explained, you know, I make a couple bucks off everybody who pays $5 to come in. I'm like, sure. It sounds like fun. I'm already going out. And it's a nice way for me to speak to more people and give them something to speak about. Hey, nice to meet you. By the way, what are you doing Friday night? Doing this party here. You should come. And I did it first time and did really well and fell in love with it. It was doing great. It was a great way for me to start conversations, make some relationships. Like I had a reason to go out there and network now. I had something to promote, which I was pretty good at and I didn't realize. So that's how I started promoting. I did that for that summer. And then the party kind of fizzled out, it ended and basketball season started. So I was personal training in the morning, going to school, basketball season. And I had a basketball game. The same day I had a staff meeting. So I'm not missing a college basketball game for a staff meeting. I'm just going to go over some stuff I probably already know. They don't need to be there. But I got fired. I was already making nothing. So I was like, great. Now I got to figure out how am I going to get to school if I don't have money? How am I going to pay for my books? And so I thought about like doing a party. And I reached out a few venues. And I, I was like, you know, listen, I just want to invite my network of friends from school and charge a cover charge. I'm going to charge five bucks. And let me just keep the door. And one venue said, sure, yeah, no problem. So I was so nervous that no one would show up that uh, I did my own cashier. <laughs> and I told them I'd have like 25 to 50 people showed up. But by 11.30, I had 100 people showing up. I'm starting to charge 10 bucks at the door. I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. I stopped working the door by 1.30, 2 o'clock and hang out at the party. And I made seven times in one night than I would in a whole month waking up at 5 a.m. So... I did one party a month till I graduated and I had enough money to have lunch now and have, you know, have a couple bucks in my pocket. And then when I graduated school, I didn't know, I couldn't find a job. I started this weekly party with a friend of mine. We're making like 40 bucks a week. And then I have one big party a month that maybe between two and 400 bucks. I'm living off of like 500 bucks a month, but I kept at it and saved up. While you were doing this, what were you doing with your contacts? How were oh, you? Well, were you saving them? So were you staying, how were you staying so touch I with people? I had like a flip phone. Motorola? The old school? No, it was like a Samsung flip phone. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry. I Not nothing fancy. Yeah. But the first one I had was the Nokia. It was bricks with a little antenna at the top. Anyway, so I had a flip phone and I'm like taking people's numbers. I remember texting for the first time, letting people know about parties. I said, hey, by the way, I'm doing this party. I remember starting a text and I thought that was a great way to do it instead of calling everybody. And I wasn't extremely organized. I just put people's numbers in my phone. Would you have any notes about no, like where you met them, I anything about I them? I didn't need it then. Okay. One, my memory is probably better back then. Uh-huh, but yeah. so I wasn't meeting. The amount of people I knew wasn't enormous just yeah. yet. It was a couple hundred, for example. So I was doing a party once a month, and I got an internship at Crowbar. Started kind of... Uh, Crowbar? Yeah. Crowbar. <laughs> in the marketing department, and I was in charge of like getting them... Uh, contacts with so the ambassador program. So going around town, like I was given different zones and like I was in charge of getting the spas and the gyms and get contact information and have them like leave their business cards, just gathering data. But the deal I had with them was I got to keep that data too for myself as well. So I kept that and built a email subscriber base based on that as well. Which and what year, what year are we talking about? 2004. Wow. So yeah. you're a pioneer in the email data no, gathering. It was already happening then. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was, but like, it was more people walking around parties with like, hey, we want to sign up for a newsletter. Like I was doing that during the day instead and gathering people's numbers at night when I was out meeting people. But it wasn't until 
So I got my internship at Crowbar, saved up enough money to go travel in Europe for a month, which I wanted to do when I graduated college, but I just couldn't afford it. And I got back from my trip to Europe for a month visiting family. And I thought to myself, all right, well, I can't seem to find a job. Anything I like, anything I was looking for, like within marketing was like door-to-door office supply sales. I like this promotion stuff. And I see this as a great stepping stone to do something else. It's not like an end goal. So I was like, let me just dive all in and see how it goes. I mean, I'll use that to build my network. And I did. I was doing really well. So did you know at that stage of your life how important your network was? Well, I knew that. I kind of figured that out when I was 15. And, you and did? Putting, yeah, I knew that that was important. I know that I always wanted to have the resources on my own without, without having to rely on somebody. So if I needed somebody for anything and I needed to get the personal hookup or I need that resource right away, I don't want to rely on someone else having to get it to me. I wanted to have that resource and that number in my phone or that email in my database. So... Learned that pretty early on. And then today, are you still able to remember everybody's code? No, not anymore. Uh, so, so now. <laughs> so when did that happen? So when did that switch? Did you realize? I remember when I started getting like 500,000, 2,000 contacts in my phone and meeting people. As I met more people, I'd be introduced to more people. So then I remember having running out of space in this flip phone and getting like one of those like Palm Pilots, right? So that I would take notes in that, put numbers in there until I got a better phone. I would start taking notes and in the notes, I would put something that, however, I met them, where I met them. And as it came more and more content these days, I put notes on my phone where it's like where I met them, who I met them through, what the conversation was like, maybe what they look like, where they're from, or something that I remember that will jog my memory and I'm like, okay, that's who I'm talking to. Mm. And when you meet somebody, do you have a standard procedure in terms of how you follow up with them or what you do? It really depends on who they are. Yeah. To be honest with you, I don't have a system in place because everybody's a different kind of relationship. Yeah. So if it's somebody who might be a, an event goer, then I'll invite them out to a few events when I first meet them so that they kind of get accustomed. And they think of me when they want to go out. If it's a potential brand sponsor, then just developing a relationship like I would with a friend. And not that it's not authentic. It is. It's just, I also like to do business with people I can get along with. like, and trust. Exactly. I don't want to work with any liars. Anyone I feel is a little shady. Like, there's a reason why you have intuition. If your intuition is telling you they're not a good person to work with, chances are, even if they can offer you the world, it's not going to be a good working relationship. Yeah. So nowadays, what are the categories? How many categories would you have in your database? Well... I have two different databases. One is our event newsletter subscribers, and that's about 52,000 people. The other one is my phone, my personal contacts, people I've met or been introduced to. And that's about 8,000 people. That's a lot and of people. It is. And again, that's over years. So there's a lot of them in there. And I'm sure I've changed your numbers. And once in a while, I'll text somebody and I'm like, hey, you got the wrong number. And I just have to update that in my phone. This is social media. I can kind of track people down if I've lost contact for the most part and ask them for their most updated contact information. But I got great advice from my buddy, Mike Robbins, famous promoter in Miami. Since then, he's, he's done, uh, he's in the car business now. But the advice he gave me that was the most impactful was about how to organize my contacts. And I thought I had it down. He was like, make sure you organize your contacts. Like, I got that covered. <laughs> he's like, well, how do you have it covered? I'm like, I have my business. I categorize them business, personal, or family. <laughs> he gave a little, he laughed at me a little bit. And I was like, what? He's like, that's not enough. Like, how do you know what business? How do you know if you need to find somebody that's a DJ in this city or a event producer or whatever it is, how are you going to find them? And you just can go business and have to like scroll through all your contacts, especially now as you're developing them. You don't have a whole ton yet. I think at the time I might've had like a thousand. So his advice was to be very specific as to subcategories. I have 150 categories now, maybe 154. 
and they're categorized in industry. And obviously there's more subcategories sure. and locations so cities. So now if I go visit a city, I can always look at my phone book and see, okay, I'm going to Stockholm. Oh, I know I should, let me reach out to all these people that I want to catch up with and stay in touch. You never know when you need that relationship. And again, like I said, it's always people whose company I enjoy who are good people. I'm yeah. not going to reach out to somebody who I think is a bad person. So what kind of events are you putting on these days? You've got uh, some pretty cool so, things. Yeah, I've decided to go more experiential and I still do some nightlife stuff, but it's no longer my passion. I feel overqualified and I kind of found something that really interests me. So I come up with ideas based on what I want to do. And if I see no one's executing them, then I think it is some market for it. So I produced a bike ride a few years ago from Williamsburg to Rockaway. And we had about Williamsburg, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, yes. Yes. Williamsburg, Brooklyn, to Rockaway Beach, Queens. It was great. It was, no one showed up in spandex, carbon fiber bikes. Everyone was like (laughs) jean shorts, uh, bathing suit bikinis, speakers on their bikes. And it was like a leisurely ride through parts of Brooklyn and parts of the city where people don't normally see. Like you might have lived in New York for your whole life, but did you know there's mansions in Brooklyn? And we were riding through there, we're riding through Crown Heights, we're riding through like parts of Brooklyn that some people might not see or like even industrial parts where you have normally no reason to go through. So we're going through these interesting parts of Brooklyn with speakers on the bikes, having a great time. Everyone's like chatting it up. Everyone's feeling good in the sun. They're active. The endorphins are rushing. So I uh, gets to the beach. We hung out at the beach. That always makes for a good time. And then we finished off the day at uh, Rockaway Beach Surf Club where they had uh, Rockaway tacos. And it was just a great day, like seven or eight hour day. I produced the event with my buddy Felipe, who owned a bike tourism company. And at the end of the day, we're just sitting there chatting about how happy we are with the outcome. And this girl walks up to us and asks us, how often do you do these events? We're like, well, this is the first one, but we think we're going to do it again. She's like, well, I'd be willing to pay a monthly membership to be part of a group that does this on a regular basis. And we looked at each other, well, it's not very often someone offers you their money to be part of your group. So, or to do an event, I should say. We kind of looked at each other and like a light bulb went off, like we're on something here. So Felipe and I were discussing like the next year and so on. And since then he's, he helped me with basically the creation of the outsiders, but he took a backseat. Now he's no longer a part of it, but he's there in spirit, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we were discussing like, well, how can we make this different? What's so unique about this? It's like the sense great part of the event was the fact that it was like a community thing and people were like connecting and how many people went to this event? It was like 70 to 80, maybe 90 people at the most. Okay. It's a good amount of people. Amount of people. But we thought it'd be a great idea. Instead of just doing like a bunch of one-off events, like a cycling event or a hike or any sort of activity to really build a community and make people feel like they belong. So we came up with our social club called The Outsiders. So we're doing outside events. Not every single one's outside, but just about, it's not so much about being outside. It's also like, we're the outsiders. Like we're doing, you know, you feel like you belong. Like the movie The Outsiders, like it's a gang. So the next year we, again, part of the reason why we were able to do that was to be part of the Cliff Bar and they saw the vision. I want to talk about Cliff Bar in a minute. I don't want to forget about that because okay, yeah. I think there's a good story there. But before, yeah, we get, before we get into that, tell me about, so you've had this company for a while. You've put on some really cool events. You got a lot more really exciting, fun and unique yeah. events coming down the pike. Any stories from people that have connected in your groups, whether it's, uh, yeah. whether it's dating, whether it's doing business, whether it's tell me about the community well, most, that you've built. Most recently, what stands out in my mind was we did a hike, an outdoor hike, obviously outdoor hike, but a hike through the stairway to heaven hike in Jersey, beautiful landscape. And it was the first event where actually 
didn't hit the goal was however the amount of people I wanted to have attend. But what was unique about it was when we started the event, we had the people meeting up at Drip Coffee, and I noticed there were like like four girls total showed up that all came. Well, two of them were by themselves; they knew nobody there. So one girl shows up by herself, another girl shows up by herself, knows nobody. Then there's two other girls showed up; they knew nobody there, but they came together. And I'd say maybe it was a third girl came alone. Again, they're pretty adventurous girls; they show up by themselves to this group thing, and. By the end of the day, when we're back on the bus and everyone had kind of like bonded on this hike and made friends and thrown snowballs at each other and just had a great day outdoors in nature, getting out of the, uh, the urban environment and feeling so much lighter and just maybe healthier, whatever they felt, they felt connected. And what's funny is that these girls were, they set the whole party off on the bus ride back and we were having a couple of drinks, music, they were dancing. They were really bonded to get back to like the restaurant we were having like the little after party at and they were just dancing. It turns out like, Two of them from Miami. They're, I think all of them were of Latin origin. It just, they bonded. And what's funny was like the following weeks after the event, I'd see their Instagram stories and they're all together hanging out. Like they're making plans. Like they're like besties all of a sudden where I know some of them didn't know anybody. Some of them were looking for a social group to be part of and to feel like a sense of belonging and things to do with. Is that the allure of your group? I think there's a lot of different appealing factors with the group. One of them is the sense of community, the meeting new people, the, the social aspect. The other aspect is doing stuff outside of your comfort zone. Another aspect is getting out of the urban environment, getting into nature, but all within experiences that aren't solely based around consumption, as well as I do that in New York City and in this area where whenever you want to meet up with somebody, hey, let's meet up at this bar, let's meet up at this restaurant. You're always consuming, you're always drinking, eating. And not that we don't incorporate that, we do incorporate that, but the event isn't solely based around that. It's not themed around there. Exactly. And anything active in this city is usually soul cycle boxing. It's a little too intense to really have a conversation while you do it. Now you can hang out and speak afterwards, but usually people do the, their exercise and head out and go happy out where their friends are at. So this is like a combination. This is a social environment where it's not only consumption based, but it's also active. You're like a Zog Sports on steroids. Well, Zog Sports is also like you get in with your company team and you might meet the opposing teammates, but it's like you're still part of a group already. Mm. This is like bringing people together and it's not just do competitive sports because we don't really do kickball or softball, or whatever. We're doing like outdoor things, getting them out of their environment. Outdoor in the sense of like bike riding and cycling, rock climbing. And then what do you do to keep fostering the community? Is it just a one and done? You've come to this no. event and you're out? Or how do you foster the community itself? I think itself? it's... There uh, pictures? Or there's definitely photos. So what we do is we'll have an event. We always have... Right now, it's monthly for now. I want to end up doing two a month soon. And we're working on doing retreats. So that's a new project that hasn't happened yet, but we're working on that. Those will be fun. Yeah. And I keep on telling people, it's not your typical yoga kale retreat. We're going to do some active, adventurous stuff. Stuff where... It's not so hippie wellness stuff, although we incorporate that. We're not opposed to it, but we want people to also feel like they're going to have fun. We'll have parties. We'll have drinking. But if we're going to do a retreat, some of the talks have been about doing retreat in Vietnam. We'll do like beach activities, surfing, and then jungle stuff, like zip line, whatever we can do. And then why not hit the city and see what we can explore there? So it's not solely just active stuff. It's about balance. And I think that's the key component as well, is like doing stuff within balance. So... We want people to have fun, enjoy themselves, live life, do the healthy stuff. But also you run, you do this exercise, you ride 28 miles on your bike at a leisurely pace, but you're burning calories, it's fitness, but then you're going to have a beer and a taco. What do you do? So a lot of people, 50% of people are introverts. 
or actually it's 40 or introverts, 40 or extroverts and, and 20 or what's mm-hmm. introverts, ambiverts. What do you do for the people that are a little reserved? Are there things that you do to kind of, oh, you know, yeah. what type of social lubricant are you using to help make people feel comfortable? It's kind of the same ways I've learned to get people involved through being a good host in an event or a party. Let's talk about that because I'm sorry to switch gears on no, you, no but they're 90% conservatively, the events that I go to, I think are just poor at mm-hmm. best because people don't know how to host. So I'd love yeah. to hear from an expert what you do to host, to make an event more appealing outside of just serve alcohol I, and let people go do their thing. I think it's a very simple formula for me. I'm very appreciative for everyone who comes to my event. They don't have to come. They get a great experience out of it. It's not like it's they're doing me a favor, but at the same time, I feel like there's a million other events and competing things they can go to. So I'm very appreciative that they show up. So because of that, I make sure I give everybody a piece of my time, a piece of my energy. You showed up to see to an event I invited you to. You didn't have to, but because you did, I want to spend a little time with you. Thank you, and I want to get to know you. I want to entertain, host you. And I also want to introduce you to the other people who showed up because most of the time we're like-minded individuals. I like to hang out with, I've always gotten this compliment. I love hearing this is that I've heard this, the people I meet at your events are always good people. And they don't, it's almost like they're shocked when they realize that. And in my mind, I'm like, of course they are. I don't want to have jerks or people who aren't pleasant at my events. I want people who are, whose company I enjoy to come. And if I enjoy your company, chances are my friend whose company I also enjoy is going to enjoy your company. So I so, so the first piece is having good people. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ingredient number one, good yeah. people. Good people. I mean, All good right. vibes, right? All right. Good. Sounds okay. very surfer, hippie-ish, but yep. good vibes is, is the truth. I mean, who wants to have that, you know, the Debbie Downer or the negative person or the person who's just going to rain on your parade, you know? Yeah. Okay. So give me some other ingredients that are going to make C- for Connecting it. people, for sure. Like when I'm hosting, I'm talking to somebody, chances are a lot of time I get maybe interrupted. Someone has a question to ask me, but one, but I make use of that. So when someone's speaking, when someone tries to get my attention, I'm having a conversation, I always introduce them. And I say, well, you should connect. You guys should connect. This person is doing this and you're doing that. So maybe there's some synergy, but if not, they're good people and they end up having conversations. So I kind of have everyone introduce themselves. So therefore they're entertained, they're hosted. And it's not like I've consciously always make a point of doing that. It just happens naturally, organically. So okay, good. So ingredient number one, good people. Ingredient number two, make sure the people are inter, they're mingling. I'm yeah, assuming yeah. the venue itself is an ingredient that we're putting in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the venue, the beauty, the, the ambiance they create, the environment is always important for sure. How important is music? I'm a big music fan. So for me, it's important, but it just depends on what kind of event you're doing. Like yeah. music is a mood setter. Like even. I have a friend of mine who's a photographer and she's a fashion photographer. She always has music on set because it creates a vibe. The model it might ease the tension. It might create a mood. Let's say you're doing a photo shoot where you want the model to have some sort of edge and feel cocky. You want them to throw on their favorite song where they feel some self-confidence because of that song, then you're going to get a different result from their body language, their facial expressions. So having the right mood setter with music is very important, even if it's not the focal point or the draw for the event. So I got a question for you. I'm very curious to see how you answer this. Talk to me about the volume of music. How important is the volume? Depends on what kind of event you're doing. Yeah, good point. If you're doing an event that's the big DJ draw is dancing and conversation can be had through skimming in someone's ear, but it's not the main point <laughs> yeah. of the event, then it's fine. But if you're doing a networking event where it's just a mood setter, you want it low enough for people not to strain their voices to speak. Yeah, so I'm glad you said that because I can't begin to tell you how many times I have the conversation with hosts when they're saying, listen, make sure to control the volume. Yeah. Because what you always want to do, the rule of thumb is, is to keep it voice level. 
So just a touch under. I forgot that it's a decibel under voice. But it also depends on if you're trying to create like a fun little party environment. People stream, stream over music a little bit. Like yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Again, it just depends on what your event's about. Okay. Yeah. So cool. So we got vibe, people, yeah. connections, venue. Yeah. What else? Talk to me. What else makes for a good experience? Everything really does. It's sometimes it's stuff that you just can't control or people be in a good mood or every aspect has a factor in whether the event is successful or not. Yeah. And then give me some experiences that people have had as a result. Any like, as far as what go, like you said, like these girls, they came in shy, not knowing anybody to now becoming BFFs. So you have multiple experiences like that. Yeah. It happens all the time where, and it's not just on the outsider events, any successful event, people walk away having met somebody and made a connection that to me, I've had friends, I introduced a friend of mine at a Super Bowl party to his now wife. So I've introduced people to their significant others a few times. And then how do you find, what, what's the connection that you're looking to draw with people? How will you make the connection other than say someone interrupted you? What will you find as the common thread? Or is it a business thing typically? Is it just anything that you know about is them? Anything, anything that where, anything that they can kind of relate to, anything commonalities or even complimentary things or conversation starters. I mean, it could be really anything. I'm not saying that every time I connect somebody, they have a great conversation, become best friends. Sometimes I connect sure. them. They're like, cool. Okay. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Take yeah. off. So, uh, yeah, you can't play God. No, <laughs> I'm not trying to. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. not at all. So you got some pretty cool events coming down the pike. You're putting together two a month. Is that what you said? So as far as the outsiders go, so right yeah. now outsiders is my main focus. I love the direction it's going. It's basically, in such a short amount of time, it's gotten so much more traction than I thought it would. I'm realizing all the benefits that this has for people socially, mental health-wise, like all kinds of things. Mental health is huge. Are you familiar with the loneliness epidemic that we have going on? Yeah, I mean, especially with social media and the millennials, like it's becoming easy to communicate solely through your phone and apps, whereas face-to-face stuff is becoming harder. I'm having this conversation the other day where... Have you, I'm not sure if you've heard the term ghosting, where people usually it's referred to for people who are kind of seeing each other dating or... Well, it's, it's hitting the workforce now. Is that right? Oh, that's a big... Yeah, I, I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine who run, he's a partner of a prestigious firm. And he says that all the time, they're, employees, they just don't show up. They just get another job. They don't even do a two-week notice. They really? don't do, oh, yeah. He's had people I mean, interviewing where they don't show up for interviews. I mean, just... It blows my mind that this happens. I don't know if that has, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's obviously some sort of social issue. I have no idea what, if social media is an impact on that, if lack of human connection in person is the main factor. I don't know, but it's not something I like. (laughs) I don't like the direction uh, society's going, if it's going in that direction. Well, we're talking about connection and people ghosting and how... I don't know how we Oh, mental health. Yes, thank you. So one of us has got to be this. Yeah. One of the appealing factors for the outsiders, which I wasn't aware of, and a friend of mine whose opinion I really respect, he came on, on the hike. I'd been telling him I was doing these events, and yeah, I guess I didn't describe them to him in detail, but he came on the hikes, and, and he, after the hike, he was like, this is really, this is what you should be doing. This is so much promise. This is important for society. What you're doing is amazing. I'm like, thanks. I think it's great, but why do you think it's so amazing? I really wanted to know why he thought it was such a great idea. I knew it was good. But he started talking about mental health and all kinds of things. And specifically because if you're in an environment, especially like New York City's urban environment, there's, you're more likely to be stressed out. You're more likely to have anxiety because of this rat race, this need to survive or excel or whatever your expectations and goals are. 
And the urban environment, it's not like being in nature. Like I read some internet fact, whether this fact is true or not, I do believe there's some sort of truthfulness to it. And that's humans need to be in nature 30 minutes a week to reap the benefits. And granted, not all our events are out of nature, but we do get people outside breathing. I mean, not fresh air all the time, for <laughs> yeah, Brooklyn, yeah. but you know, getting yeah. out there. And I noticed such a big difference when people get outside and do our events because they've connected, but a real big difference when people are out, we take them to like do a hike out in nature. And when they spent the whole day in nature, their demeanor from the time we picked them up in, in the city to the time we're coming back after spending three hours in nature is completely different. So much lighter, so much happier. It's almost like they kind of re-energize. And I think, again, the factors of urban environment leading to depression and, and anxiety. And this is just like a way to lift those weights off their shoulders for a second without relying on a substance through just through nature and activity. Yeah, and community. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. So because we wanted to start this community, it wasn't so much, there was a lot to do with making people feel like they belong. And it's easy to feel lonely. People, as you get older, people have their family units or they're focused on work. So that sense of community you have when you're early 20s, you're going out, you have a huge group of friends you always hang out with. And that kind of dissipates as you get older because of life, you know, but that doesn't have to happen and if it does happen, well, at least there's a place where we have a social club where you can come and see, let's say you don't even like the event so much, you're not a big hiker, but you're coming because you like to hang out with the people who are coming on this hike and that's the draw for you. And that's kind of... So this is something any individual can do or is it usually groups of people that sign up together? Any individual. And it's usually like a lot of our stuff is word of mouth. Like people find out through a friend, like thanks to social media, actually. People will post a lot on these events. We encourage them to post and hashtag, but we also don't want them to be on their phones the whole time. It's kind of a weird balance. We want as much exposure as we can get, but we want people to get a break too. So it's a balance that we're trying to find for ourselves. And I think it's also a matter of each individual. Some of them will like to be on their phone the whole time. That's what they like. Fine. But we find a lot of people putting their phones. You're trying to break that. Yeah. Well, you don't necessarily need to take photos all the time. Sure. Put up Instagram stories. Then people will do that at a fun moment and we just peak to do it and they put their phone away. But we also have a photographer taking photos. So we're getting like professional photos for you done, look nice. And you can repost if you want later on. You don't have to take the photos from your phone. So we take that worry of doing it for the gram and we take care of it for you and take photos, provide content for you to share. It's a nice touch, a lot yeah. of value. So I know that we're under the gun. I know you've got to get to a contractor. I got a couple random questions. Yeah. Put your finger, close your eyes, just put your finger anywhere. All right. Because I got so many here. Right anywhere, here. anywhere you want, man, go for it. All right, let's see what we got here. If you could be one age for the rest of your life, what age would that be? Purely based on the way my body feels physically from playing sports, <laughs> I would say 26. But as far as like life experience, I mean, every year provides something new and different in growth. So my answer is only purely based on how my body feels beat up from sports. So I would say 25, 26. But if I could continue experiencing stuff, then it doesn't really matter. Good answer. Go yeah. for it. Put your finger down. What's your thought on the saying, busy is bullshit? Huh. Well, there's a, is it John Wooden quote? What is he saying? Oh, he's got some good Great ones. ones. Don't mistake action for achievement or something like that. Huh. Uh, I haven't heard so that. So just because you're doing something doesn't mean you're achieving something. Just because you're busy doesn't necessarily mean you're getting close to your goals. You could be doing the wrong thing. So make sure you do the right steps to get your goals achieved and not just being busy and feeling accomplished because you're busy because that's yeah. not... Are you a goal-oriented person? Yeah, I mean, I'm very impatient, so I'm goal-oriented, but I want to get stuff done right away, and that kind of bites me in the ass as well because I know stuff that's worthwhile takes time to build a base. Anything that blows up fast can go away just as fast. 
So yeah, I'm definitely goal oriented. What makes me happy is achieving these goals. I'm very competitive, very competitive. We play basketball together. Yeah, I've, seen, I've seen that competitiveness. <laughs> so like, yeah. I mean, like when a guy gets the best of me in one game, that next game, I'm going to go at him and try to destroy him. So I'm very competitive. And but the same goes for myself. My biggest competition is with myself, like being able to achieve my goals. And I hate failure. And I think I definitely put too much pressure on myself because I'm impatient. Again, realizing as I get older that good things take time to build is, is kind of give me perspective. So give me a goal. Here we are almost February of 2019, if we were to do a recap, 2020, 220, 220. Right, right. What will you have accomplished? We're holding you to the fire. Okay, well, you can hold me to this because I'm my toughest critic. But being that my biggest focus right now is the outsiders because I like the direction we're going. I like all the pros and that has to offer. This year, I'm putting a lot of time investing into this business, into this social club. So we're hiring PR. We're going to try our, we try doing at least one to two events a month now. And we're trying our hands in retreats. So like traveling and the retreats are unique because not only do I have the New York City network, but I can market towards my global network for this. For doing a retreat in Vietnam, for example, I can reach out to my friends in France and and Sweden and various countries because it's going to be a destination. It's a, it's a retreat. So it's a big project and that's the goal. I keep on talking about it, but I should kind of move in silence because if it doesn't happen on time and people ask me what happened, what happened? I don't want to have that. So you'll at least by 220, 220, yeah. you will have done a retreat, your first retreat. That's the goal. Okay. All right. Yeah. There we go. Good deal. And it's not a yoga kale retreat. Yeah. It's an active adventurous stuff. So stuff that's fun, stuff that also incorporates We'll have your outdoor, maybe like surfing, ocean activities, beach stuff. Week? Hikes. Long weekend? What do you think is uh, It depends on time. where. Yeah. If we're doing something as far as Vietnam, it'd probably be like a week if you're going that far. If we're doing something in Oregon or upstate New York, we could probably do four days or a long weekend. It really depends on logistics, what we have planned, time of year. Like, this be our first one. So the first one, we want to kind of make it as streamlined and simple, as straightforward as possible. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear about how that event goes. If it's anything like your other ones, it's going to be a, a yeah. rock star show. What else? Is there anything, if you were me right now and you were interviewing you, what have I not asked you that I should have? I mean, you're the interviewer, so I'm not sure what... I'm what not have sure. I forgotten? What have I left out? Anything in particular that we should you have covered? You want to talk about Cliff Bar? Oh, that's right. That's there an important go. one. Okay, yeah. Tell me the story about how you got... How well, Cliff Bar, that, I mean, it's a major sponsor. The Cliff Bar is an yeah. amazing partner. They're a huge reason why we were able to launch the Outsiders, thanks to them believing in the idea before we were the Outsiders. And the story is kind of like the same way we've developed a lot of the important relationships. It goes through time. It's building that friendship and that trust. So not just with Cliff Bar, but like any important relationship, any brand we worked with, anyone whose trust we had to earn in order to take on a big role with responsibility where they were willing to take a risk and work with us and recognize that they see a return on whatever investment, whether it be money, time, anything. So you cold call? I used to cold call. Never worked. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Cold call also didn't understand how to go through the trials and tribulations of learning what, no, the appeal was for, and if we're talking specifically brand partnerships and sponsors, what was appealing to them? What were the things we had to focus on when putting a pitch deck together? what things to include. And thankfully I had friends that were the ones that made the decision whether or not to approve certain pitches for their companies were helping me put together the decks and you need to include this. This is a great thing. Elaborate on this. And they kind of guided me to create great pitch decks. So you create a good pitch deck, but you can have a great best pitch deck in the world. 
But if you don't have a relationship already with somebody, then you it's know, for nothing, huh? No, because a pitch deck is a pitch deck. They have to have trust in you. Like you can have a great pitch deck, but who says you can execute? So the perfect example is this Cliff Bar thing. Again, it was it goes back like seven or eight years before we even created the outsiders, even pitched Cliff Bar. I was when I first started trying to pitch brands, realizing that was a missing piece between what I wanted to do and what I had the resources for. And we're pitching brands and didn't have a relationship and being shot down, but getting to meet a lot of people, telling them what I'm doing. And one of the guys who I was pitching was a guy by the name of Will. I was pitching some event for any sponsorship for, and my friend connected me to the guy at Red Bull. Red Bull is an amazing brand. They've created a whole community within themselves. And usually they just produce their own events or we sponsor others. But I wanted to speak to them anyway. So I got connected to Will and we talked about this event I'm doing. Nothing ever happened as far as I'm sponsoring again because I didn't have my stuff in order. I didn't have everything. I didn't know what I was doing just yet, but I was trying to build those relationships. Fast forward a few years later, it's World Cup and I'm trying to create like rooftop viewing summer experiences where people can like come watch the games because obviously they're earlier on in the day, have a great rooftop experience in the summer. Just like a fun hangout, something I would want to do. Yeah. So I'm creating for others. And I connected with a guy by the name of Joey, Joey Steger, and he's working for a company, Aqua Hydrate. Met him through a friend of mine, Adriel. And talked to him about the idea. There's no budget, but they're willing to give us product. And I end up not being able to produce this series of events because I don't have the budget, but at least I'm building relationships. I'm getting a phone time or FaceTime with these people, getting on email, and they love the ideas. So we're building that foundation. I keep in touch with Joey. Joey sends an email saying he's leaving Aqua Hydrate, going to Cliff Bar. I'm congratulating him. Obviously, it's a great company to go to. Their story is amazing. Currently reading the book, Raising the Bar, written uh, by the founder yeah, yeah, yeah. of Cliff Bar. And so he's getting his job at Cliff Bar. Reach out to him. Congratulations. When you settle in, let's have a conversation. We'd love to hear what your ideas are. I have some ideas for you as well. He settles in and I reach out to him, see how he's doing. He's doing great. He's like, you know, I'm going to connect you with a regional marketing manager for the East Coast. Or I forgot what his title was. So he connects me with a guy by the name of Will, Will Yandel. And Will is the same guy who years ago I connected with for Red Bull. And I realized that and he recognizes the name. We start talking and say, wow, long time. How you been? I saw what you just pitched. Oh, he looks great. Let's talk. So do you think that pitch would have gone over if you didn't know Will? Probably not, but I don't think it would have even gotten to Will had I not established a base relationship with Joey. Gotcha. And just, just showing how important both relationships Both relationships are. and the deck. So showing that I have a, a That good, you got help with from yeah, other people. Exactly. Gotcha. So yeah. it's thanks to support I've had from people, building relationships and networking pretty much. What your, what your whole network-wise is about has really helped me and gotten me to where I'm at right now. So I'm talking to Will. He loves the idea, but... They're, they're done with the budget for the year. And I'm like, that's not a problem. I'm glad we're back in touch. And I asked him, when's a good time to get in touch to figure out like if we can allocate X amount of budget for the next year? It was like, well, usually we do about December, January. So what I do, I reach out to him September, October, November, just to see how he's doing, start the conversation. Because Will's also a cool guy. Like we're just talking trash, talking about life. He's into outdoor adventures, cycling, all that. So we're talking about like the ride 9W ride and just connecting anyway. So when it comes time to like, Start talking about budget. I'm like, here, this idea we have. And this is the first Rockaway Beach bike ride we did before the Outsiders. And he loved the idea. Cliff Bar is big on cycling. The founder is a big cyclist. So they actually decided to partner with us on it. And they were a partner for the event. Not just a sponsor, but they gave their resources for us. And we're a great partner to have and made it possible. So 
the event went well. The feedback was great. Again, the girl offering to pay members should feel that. And then we started to, so we did the outsider social club and they liked the idea. We started doing more events because we didn't just want to be a cycling club and they sponsored, they got behind us and partnered. I don't want to say sponsored because they were more than just a sponsor. A sponsor, you think, is just a logo. And a- so do you think that partnership came again as a result of just a good idea or was it a partnership again it's because an, there's a rapport, like, you had a relationship? It's like trying to figure out what was the main reason. I think everything has a factor. Had I had the relationship and a bad pitch deck and a back product, no, it wouldn't have happened. Had I had a great deck and no relationship, no, it wouldn't have happened. It's a combination of things. Timing as well. They you, were, but you knew when to call. Because he told you. Right. But also like the time where people are starting to do more experiential stuff, so unique experiences, not just so much your traditional do an event, have a logo, whatever. Like we never put down, like when I see a pitch deck, when people ask me like, can you take a look at my pitch deck? And I see it and I see like, it gets to the point where they talk about sponsorship levels and packages. I look at it as like, title sponsor, your logo here. This is so generic. I'm like, no, erase all of that. Everybody has different needs. Every company has different measures of success. You have to ask them, what does this company need? Like we've worked with like five companies or six companies, partners and sponsor partners, whatever you want to call it for the outsiders by now. And Cliff Bar is about building community. I know like at the end of the day, our community isn't really pushing the needle on their sales much, but it's about brand awareness and tying our experiences, this sense of amazing community and fun with the brand. And that's the measure of success. And that's really important with another brand we worked with. Their measure of success was how many influencers posted about them. And another one was they wanted us to do a launch event, a company called Sweat Wealth, where they have like all kinds of products for active lifestyle. And they wanted us to do a launch event. Plus, they wanted us to create the video content for their launch for their website. So essentially, we're a production company for that. We're video content producers. So that was their measure for success. So you can't just go in there with a generic, this is what we'll do for you, because that might not be interesting to them. So I learned that, like curate everything because you might promise you're doing so many things for this one company that they don't need and going out of your way to do all stuff that at the end of the day, doesn't matter to them. They want something else. So always curate specifically for their needs. Interesting. Yeah. That's a great takeaway. I know you got to get rolling. Yeah. I appreciate you coming in. Thanks this for having is, me. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. A lot of great takeaways, good stories. Your company's great. So how do people get in touch with you? Well, there's a number of ways on social media. There's, and we'll, we'll put all this in the show notes, but absolutely. if you don't mind. So me personally is Jeremy S. Gary. You can hit me on Instagram. My email that I use, I use to is Jeremy at socialite.tv, S-O-C-I-A-L-I-G-H-T.tv. Or easy to remember, Jeremy at outsiders.nyc. You can also find the outsiders on Instagram, outsidersny. Our website is outsiders.nyc. The company, there's, there's no shortage of ways to get you. you know, the first company, Socialite Entertainment, which kind of spawned the outsiders, is socialite.tv, S O C I A L I G H T.tv. So, million ways. Yeah. yeah. We'll put this in the show notes anyhow, just to make it easy for people. Yeah, but, but it's okay. People can reach out directly. You encourage them to, in fact. Yeah, why not? I mean, well, they're emailing me. My email is public, so it's fine. Yeah. Let's make it happen then. Thank you very much, Thanks my friend. Me. Appreciate awesome. it. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network-wise.